This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, September 21st. I'm Erica Pandey, filling in for Nyla Boodoo. Here's what we're watching today. New steps to protect U.S. workers from extreme heat. Plus, some of you share how you've managed parenting young kids during the pandemic. But first, a movement away from the evangelical church is today's one big thing. About a quarter of Americans describe themselves as evangelical Protestants, according to the Pew Research Center. But lately, a movement of so-called ex-evangelicals is moving away from the evangelical church in the U.S. That's according to Axios' Steph Kite. She's here with more now. Hey, Steph. Hey, Erica. So, Steph, how big is this exodus from the evangelical church? You know, it's really hard to measure. What we do know is that there are some social media accounts that have tens of thousands of followers, and these social media accounts are directed at exvangelicals or deconstructed evangelicals. What do you mean by this term, deconstructed? Deconstruction is kind of a buzzword that's been used within these circles, and it it honestly has a range of meanings. For some people, it means that they've just stepped back from a certain kind of Christian church or culture or politics, um, while for others, it means that they've left organized religion altogether. So what is accounting for this rise of exvangelicals? There are a couple of different things that's happened over the past few years that have led to people leaving church and also being more outspoken about it. Donald Trump's presidency was one really big issue that a lot of people I spoke to brought up, that because we saw so many white evangelicals attach themselves to Donald Trump, for some people who didn't agree with his policies and didn't agree with his rhetoric, it became a flashpoint and a reason for them to move away and started highlighting issues that maybe they've always had with the church, but seeing people react to his presidency made them step away at the end. And how does social media factor in here? It's not new for people to change what they believe or change what kind of church they want to go to. But what's different this time around is that social media has actually allowed people to form communities to kind of support each other. Even hashtags like exvangelical or deconstruction or church too have allowed people to share their stories and also find other people who had similar reasons for leaving, who had also had stories of abuse within the church or who felt like they didn't belong in the church because of their sexual identity or other issues. So it's created more of a movement where before it might have been just a one-off person leaving and nothing really said about it. So Steph, give me your big takeaway here. Why does this matter? It matters because evangelicalism is still very popular in the U.S., and it's also a group that's targeted politically. I think sometimes it's easy to look at evangelicals and only think of the Republican Party, but there are nuances, and we're starting to see um, that community start to break apart in different ways. It'll be interesting to watch moving forward. Steph Kite is a politics reporter for Axios. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Erica. In 15 seconds, protecting U.S. workers from extreme heat conditions. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Erica Pandey, filling in for Nyla Boodoo. This past summer was the hottest summer on record in the U.S., putting outdoor workers in danger. And yesterday, the Biden administration announced new steps to protect workers from the extreme heat. Axios' Andrew Friedman has a story. Hi, Andrew. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. So what steps has the Biden administration said that they're going to take to combat these heat waves we've seen across the country? They are going to take a step that advocates have argued should be taken for the last several years, which is to actually make a rule through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, that will define proper protections for workers from extreme heat. So right now, if you are an employer and you employ a bunch of people in a warehouse and you don't have sufficient air conditioning and it's, you know, 100 degrees and people are having heat-related problems, you don't have a specific law that tells you what you have to give them in terms of a break, in terms of access to air conditioning, water breaks, that sort of thing. This rule through OSHA would add a new requirement to businesses and to farms, especially farm workers and Anybody who has to be out in fields working is especially affected. Construction is a major sector that essentially is losing work days every year because of climate change. So the thinking goes, it would help protect companies from liability, but it would also help protect workers. This goes so far beyond just dealing with some heat at work, you know, on a hot day. This is affecting a lot of different communities. Who is this hurting? Yeah, so this really has a disproportionate impact, uh, especially within urban areas, on communities of color and poor residents. You know, neighborhoods that historically were discriminated against in real estate policies, those areas have fewer trees than wealthier neighborhoods. And there can be a 10 to 15 degree Fahrenheit difference in the middle of a heat wave between the temperature in like the peak of the urban heat island and some of the shadier areas. And it has a significant effects on people. You know, you see also in the wake of storms when there are major power outages and there's hot weather. We just saw this in New Orleans where uh, something like 10 or 11 people died after the storm because of heat exposure. These are people who couldn't afford to get out ahead of the storm. Heat is kind of this insidious killer. It's the number one weather-related cause of fatalities in the United States each year on average. So this is really, I think, designed to be an environmental justice matter, not just a pure climate change measure. Think of it more like climate adaptation and environmental justice. Andrew Friedman covers climate and energy for Axios. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. 
For more on how climate change impacts communities of color, you can check out our most recent episode of Hard Truths on race and the environment. All last week on the show, we brought you stories about the impact of COVID on kids. And we asked you to tell us how you've been supporting your young children through the pandemic. Here's some of what you told us. Hi, this is Zach from Pennsylvania. This pandemic certainly pushed our toddlers classroom into nature and abandoned cultural areas of our local community. From there, we supplemented that by purchasing educational subscription packages. That combined with my wife's experience as a teacher really worked well for us as she did an amazing job adding structure to everything we were doing. My name is Sarah and I am in Greenville, South Carolina. My husband and I have a five-year-old boy now, but he was not even four when the pandemic first hit. My biggest concern, given his uh, age, is social development. And the best way that we have found to adapt to that over the last 18 months is really practicing it and displaying it in front of him. I've tried to be very expressive with him through my eyes and my facial expressions with a mask on so that he can mirror me. And what that's done and it's really allowed him, I feel like, to thrive and getting right back into a normalcy in school now that he's able to go into kindergarten this year. Hello, my name is Jessica. Our son is very active, and that was not a good fit in school, um, especially following all the COVID pandemic protocols of keeping distance and wearing masks and sitting still. Unfortunately, in the middle of a pandemic, when there are no vaccines yet available, play therapy was not an option. So my husband and I met with a play therapist weekly via Zoom. We've spent over 100 hours and almost $3,000 to improve our parenting while at the same time trying to manage our full-time jobs. Our son is now in first grade and is having a much better experience, but this is very stressful for him as well as for our whole household. Thank you to listeners Zach, Sarah, and Jessica for sending those in. You can always send your thoughts on the show or any feedback by sending a text or voice memo to Nyla at 202-918-4893. That's all we've got for you today. I'm Erica Pandy. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and Nyla will be back here with you tomorrow morning.